Okay, let us turn to God's Word. John 14, this beautiful passage, a passage that I love to preach and I dread to preach because the truths in here and the heart that Jesus shares is so powerful, so encouraging. John 14. Jesus said to the disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But from now on, you do know him, and I've seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells, who lives in me, does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe an account of the works themselves that I've been doing. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going back to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I take that passage now and I ask in your name that you would come, that you would glorify yourself and the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Through your word, we thank you for your word, for the promises, the truth, the power thereof. We thank you that you give us ears to hear. So I pray for all of us that we would hear what you are saying to us, not what the speaker is saying, but what you are saying to us. For your people, that you would build them up and encourage them. For us who have troubled hearts, that your words would bring the peace that you promised later on. And if any here do not know you, may the words that are said this morning truly present the Savior whom they can trust. And may they trust him and glorify him. For his name's sake we pray. Amen. Northern Ireland has given many gifts to the world. And one of the Famous poets and philosophers of Northern Ireland wrote a, a poem that captures wisdom. Wisdom that's distilled to us from our mother's laps. Wisdom that gives us comfort in times of trouble. When it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, there'll be days like this. When everything falls into place like the flick of a switch, well, my mama told me, there'll be days like this. When you don't need to worry, there'll be days like this. When no one's in a hurry, there'll be days like this. When you don't get betrayed by that old Judas kiss, oh, my mama told me, there'll be days like this. 
When you don't need an answer, there'll be days like this. When you don't need a chancer, there'll be days like this. When all the parts of the puzzle start to look like they fit, well, I must remember, my mama told me there'd be days like this. When everyone's up front and they're not playing tricks. When you don't have no freeloaders out to get their kicks. When it's nobody's business what you do, I have to remember, there'll be days like this. He captures something there, does he not? The verse first of our text today is, let not your hearts be troubled. And we have to confess that we live in a world where our hearts are easily troubled, are they not? J.C. Ryle commenting on this passage says, heart trouble is the most common trouble for all of mankind, rich, poor, anywhere in the world. We all face our sorrows. We all face our difficulties. We all face times when there's chancers and freeloaders, when we're betrayed by that old Judas kiss. Heart trouble is common to us all. And I can guarantee if I took a poll of everyone in this room today, 100% would say, yes, there is times when my heart is troubled. Perhaps even right now, sitting in this room, your heart is troubled. And it's no surprise to us that Jesus would start with these words. Isn't it beautiful? Just consider the context. Jesus is on the way to the cross. In a few hours' time, he will be tortured and betrayed. He will be hung up on the most brutal instrument of torture ever imagined in the world. He has his own troubles to bear. Judas has just went out into the night to betray him. And yet Jesus' concern here in this passage is not for himself. Is there anyone like Jesus? When we would be consumed, and rightly so, with all the thoughts of what lies ahead, Jesus turns and looks out around the 11 people in the room. Peter, whom he's just said, Peter, you're going to betray me. Like, it's great, your enthusiasm, but your enthusiasm is going to fizzle out. The empty seat where Judas was. John, the young disciple, confused about the one whom he loves going off. And all the others gathered around the table who had been told by Jesus, actually, guys, this isn't going to go well in the next couple of hours. I'm going to die. You're going to scatter. Things are going to go wrong. Is it any wonder their hearts are troubled? And Jesus doesn't think about himself. Jesus' heart is ever outward ever seeking not to do good for himself, but to do good to those around him. And that is the heart that beats at the center of this universe. Yes, there is chancers, there is freeloaders. People will not always tell you the truth. People will stick the knife in the back, etc., etc. We know all these troubles, but at the heart of the universe, flowing from the throne room of God is one who says this morning through the power of his Holy Spirit to you, Christian friend, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Believe in God, believe also in me. Here, Jesus, as he's been going all the way through John, John has written, as we know, the purpose of John is that you may believe in Jesus and by believing in his name have life. Here, Jesus puts himself in the place of God because he is God and rightly so and says, you believe in God the Father. You believe in the Holy One of Israel, the one who parted the Red Sea and saved you from the Egyptians. You believe in the one who led you through the desert and fed you for 40 years of manna and quail and give you water out of rocks. I am his son. I am the revelation of his heart. As Hebrews tells us, the exact imprint and image of the glory of God. You believe in the Holy One of Israel. I am sent by him. Believe also in me. Trust in him. And believe there isn't just a head ascent, it is the whole leaning of heart, mind, and soul on the person of Jesus Christ. No other rock I have, no other, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock, 
I stand. And the answer to heart trouble, the answer to our worries and our fears is not to try and solve them out, but to look to the one who says, believe in me. Joni Tata Erickson, many of you may know her story. How many of you have heard of Joni Tata Erickson? She's a very famous lady. She goes around sharing her faith and she founded her ministry, Julian Ministries, because she is a quadriplegic and she, she was very active. She was a diver and one day she was badly injured in a diving accident and lost all ability to move. Joni has been through her problems. Not only was she a quadriplegic, she's had cancer multiple times. She's had a really enough reasons to be troubled. And one of her quotes is this, I ask God a lot of questions, but he doesn't give me the answers to the questions. He gives me himself. He gives me himself. Your hearts are troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because Jesus now points to something that is, is very beautiful. Now, I know the image of home to many people doesn't conjure up safety these days, sadly and tragically, but all of us have a place where we go to where we feel happy, don't we? For me, it's Carrick Fergus and Maud's ice cream shop where you get the best ice creams in the world. And you walk in the door and you, you don't pay an arm and a leg. And the last time I was there, I, I, for, for £2.20, I had an ice cream the size of my face. And just sitting there in the seaside in Carrick Fergus and just the sun shining as it always does in Northern Ireland. And it's just, this, there, we all have a place like that, don't we? It may be home, it may be, but it's somewhere where we go to in this world, please God, that we all do, where we feel safe where we feel at rest. The smell of it, the thought of it brings us this sort of comfort. If, if you plant me anywhere in the world and I start to smell a peat fire or a turf fire, I, it takes me home. Do you, do you, can you relate to this? You know what I'm talking about. I'm hungry now after ice creams, actually. So Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe God and believe also in me. Why believe in me? One, he now points to something. Jesus shows us that we have a home. We have a home, a place of safety, a place of comfort, a place of rest, a place that he will describe later on as he expands in the last discourse and a place that John himself will one day see through the Holy Spirit and record for us in Revelation, a place where pain is no more, where sorrow is no more, where tears are wiped away by the very hand of God himself. We have a home, an eternal home, a place where we will be at rest and safe and secure, a place that Jesus himself goes to and prepares for us. If it were not so, would I have told you, I, my father's house has many rooms. Notice that, the many rooms. There's no shortage of space in God's house. There is no queuing up at the door. There is how this contrasts with the Christmas message that there's no room at the inn. That's not the case with God. His house has many, 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 many rooms. There's a welcome, a broad and open welcome for all who would believe in Jesus. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Here Jesus reminds us, not only do we have a home, but he goes and prepares a place for us. Isn't that beautiful? And does this surprise us? I mean, how surprised would you be if you got a phone call this afternoon from King Charles? probably quite surprised. And King Charles called you up and said, I'll not try and do his accent, but I've heard about you and I want to invite you to Buckingham Palace. So please come this evening and Camilla and I are preparing the rooms for you. 
probably think what's happened to the staff, but it's, but, but this is the power here. This is the same Jesus who just a few verses ago was washing the disciples' feet. And yet he is the sovereign king of the whole universe. Again, I said, who is like our Jesus? Really? Who is like him? Here, the sovereign king of the universe, the one who has created galaxies from the mere flick of his hand and the breath of his power, the one who has made you and me, is the one who promises a home. And not only does he promise a home, he goes and prepares a place for us. Isn't that beautiful? I am. It's not often I get to stay in hotels like this. It's usually Premier Inn or Travel Lodge. But don't you love those hotels you get to stay in where they put a wee chocolate in the pillow for you? And if you're really posh, you even get your name beside it. You know, welcome. I've always stayed in a hotel once like that. And I fell asleep in the chocolate as well. <laughs> he goes and prepares a place for you. We live in a culture which it's easy to be troubled. We live in a culture that sees us as statistics, numbers, mobs, and crowds. God sees us individually. And no one escapes his caring, providential, wooing, I, I go to prepare a place for you. Brother and sister, I don't know what you're going through and why your heart is troubled this morning, but let us look to the one who says, believe in him, trust him, because he goes and prepares a place for us. We have a home that he is getting ready. And look at this. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. Isn't that beautiful? What is heaven? Heaven isn't, do you, I really get angry at the Philadelphia ads. Does anyone else get angry at the Philadelphia ads? Please don't start fighting with your TV. It is a sign of madness, but I do this. You, know, you see these people sitting, eating Philadelphia and playing harps, and that's supposed to be heaven. What a load of rubbish. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven is heaven because we see with on-field vases the beauty and the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it shines forth. In Revelation, John saw a temple, and there was no need for the sun. There was no need for the moon because the light of the glory of the Lord was the light that shone. He goes and prepares a place for us and he takes us to himself. We have a home, a home in the heavens that even that nobody can take from us. Nothing in this world can deny us. If we are in Christ, he is preparing a place for us and he will come again and bring us to himself. How do I know he will do this? Look at the gospels. Look at all the promises he fulfilled. For goodness sake, he raised Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> Lazarus come forth and poor Lazarus comes, tumbles out as if he's just woken up on a Monday morning. Promise-keeping, promise-fulfilling God who will seal these promises in a few short hours by shedding his blood on the cross for us. I prepare a place for you. I'm going through the cross to do it and the cross will secure your salvation because I will pay for your sins. I secure a place for you because I'm going to deal with death itself. I will look death in the face and I will wrestle its ugly face until it is defeated and I shall walk out of the tomb alive forevermore. I will go and prepare a place for you and I will bring you to myself. You will be at home with me in the new heavens and the new earth when God makes all things new, when all sorrow is wiped away, when cancer is done away with, when COVID is done away with, and all the workings out of all the brokenness of this creation is renewed. I am preparing a place for you. This is our hope, brothers and sisters. This is the hope of the Christian faith. How often we forget this, do we not, in our grumbles and our sorrows in those days like this? 
we have a home, an eternal home. Hebrews talks about it, made in the heavens, that cannot be shaken, cannot be taken from us. We have a home and we have a way there. How many of you get lost in your own house? Anyone here get lost in their own house? How many of you lost the car keys this morning? How many of you lost your children this morning? Don't tell me that. Not only do we have a home that is secure for us, but we're not left to figure it out by ourselves. We have a way there. We have a way there. A home and a way there, verses 6 to 13. Thomas. Don't you love Thomas? I always picture Thomas being a Scotsman in my head for some reason. I don't know why. I just um, try to the Scottish people out there. Speaking of days like these, I am, I'm sure I've told you this story before. I remember walking across. It was a beautiful day up north. Sun was shining. Everything was perfect about the day that could be perfect. And I was walking across the field and I saw a wee man coming towards me. And he was called Wee Jimmy. And Wee Jimmy came up to me and I said to him, Oh, Jimmy, it's a beautiful day today, isn't it? He goes, Aye, it'll rain tomorrow. <laughs> Thomas has that mindset. Jesus says, You know where I'm going, you know the way. Again, what's the patience of Jesus here? Jesus has been pretty clear about his mission, his ministry, and his purpose. All the way back in John 6, he told us, This is the work of the Father to believe in him whom he sent. In John chapter 1, we have the preface where it said, In the beginning was the world, and the world was with God. And as I prayed this morning, whosoever believes in him would be given the right to become children of God. Jesus has been very clear on who he is and what he's doing, and the disciples just don't get it. But don't you love the fact that Jesus still is patient with them? Still comes alongside them, doesn't beat them with a big stick or hit them with Calvin's Institutes, but says, Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to him, some of the most famous words in Christian scripture, and some of the most controversial words nowadays as well. But notice, before somebody gets upset, it's Jesus himself who says these words. The one who's just washed the disciples' feet. The one who has made the universe. The one who knows all things, who has come from the Father with irrefutable proofs that he is sent truly from God and later will be raised from the dead, proving that everything he said was true. It's Jesus who says these words. And not because he's bigoted, not because he's intolerant, not because he hasn't done his freedom of religion course, because he is the truth. Jesus says to Thomas, we have a home and he is the way. I am. Using the word there for divinity, remember back in Exodus when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, what did he say? Moses says, what is your name? God says out of the bush, I am who I am unchanging, constant, eternal. That's where the Yahweh comes from. I am who I am. Jesus here takes that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's just pause and look at these. Firstly, he is the way. As we see later on, he will go to the cross. Don't you love that scene in the gospels when Jesus dies on the cross and the curtain in the tabernacle or the temple if any has ever, well, I suppose you wouldn't be, and it's been destroyed, so no, nobody has been to the temple. But have you ever seen those pictures of the temple um, in your Bibles, of the temple in Jerusalem? And there's the most holy place, the place that only one person goes into, the priest, once a year, and there's this big curtain that divides them. This big, thick, heavy curtain that symbolizes the separation between God and man. And when Jesus dies, what happens to the curtain? It's ripped in two. Where's it ripped in two from? Top to bottom. Division gone. Ephesians 3 has broke down the dividing wall of hostility by his, Ephesians 2, 
bearing all of hostility by his cross. Hebrews tells us that Jesus goes into the heavens for us. He is the way. He provides the way by bearing our sins and the cross, by taking the rebellion of mankind, a rebellion which we entered into. All we like sheep have gone astray. A few weeks ago, I'll remind us of the encompassedness of that word, all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Jesus takes upon himself the sin, the rebellion, the justice of God, and bears it for us so that we can have a way. He is the truth. Truth is not located in creeds, though they are true, but truth primarily is located in a person called Jesus Christ. Kids have the best theology, don't you think? In Sunday school classes, I think of the best theology. And you, I, love, I love doing Sunday school classes or classes. And I always ask this question, is it impossible for God to do anything? What's the answer? Don't look all nervous. And all... Is it impossible for God to do anything? Somebody be brave. No, Phil? No? Oh, don't, be, don't be sophisticated, Barnabas. <laughs> It's impossible. You're right. Nearly everything God could do is possible, but he cannot tell a lie. God cannot lie because he is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. If you want to know, if your hearts are troubled about your position in life, if you're trying to find your way, if you feel lost and disorientated in this chaotic world of ours, Jesus will give you the truth about yourself and about him, and it will set you free. He comes to show us the truth of God, that we have rebelled against God, that we are in a state of rebellion which causes all the chaos, but he has come to give us life. He has come to set us free. He is the way, the truth, and he is the life. I love Christmas time. I don't like the shopping for presents. I don't like the fighting in the streets. I, and I heard my first Christmas carol on the radio this week, which was very disturbing to me, but I do love Christmas. And one of the things I love about Christmas is in the wintertime in the UK, it gets very dark and cold, doesn't it? Yeah, and I love walking up streets and seeing all the lights shining in the darkness. It gives hope, doesn't it? John says Jesus is the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that light is the life of all of us. Our creator comes to renew, sustain, and give eternal life to all who trust in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Is he that for you this morning, brother and sister? Are you trusting your way back to the Father in him and him alone through the salvation he brings? The truth you share in the way you're trying to figure out this world, are you studying his word to see how it describes him and how we cling to his promises in this world when our hearts can be troubled? And have you received his life through the power of the Holy Spirit that is constantly renewing within us, even though the outer person fades away day by day, Christ in us, the hope of glory? Is that your living, personal experience of Jesus this morning? And if not, why not? I don't mean that unkindly, but why would you miss out on this? Jesus' love is very wonderful. Oh, wonderful love. Then the bit that is controversial, but makes sense logically. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here himself tells us that he is the only one who has been sent from God, the only one who brings the truth, and the only one who can bring us back to the Father. There is no other way back to God. There is no mountain that many paths lead to. There is one way and one way only, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And that is why we proclaim him. That is why we share him. That is why we hold forth his word. And he has proven this time and time again. If you'd known me, you would have known the Father also. You would know that I am the one who created the universe. You would know that I've come from the heart of the Father. I do as he does. I do as he says. And I show him perfectly. No one else can save. No other name under heaven can save but Jesus Christ alone. And that makes sense. And to be honest with you, if you have a discussion with the other world religions, there's a, there's a, there's a trend to try and force us all to say, oh, sure, it's all the same God you serve. It's all the same God we worship. That's not the case. I have talked to Jewish rabbis, and they will concede that they do not believe in Jesus. There's a fundamental difference. I have talked to imams, and they will too concede that there's a fundamental difference at the heart of our faith. They're not reconcilable. And it's not intolerant or belligerent to say that. It is honest and open, and we believe and we can testify that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And if we get arrested for that, as many of our brothers and sisters around the world do, if we get persecuted for that, we still proclaim that truth because we have a home. And to be with him is more than life itself. We have a way. We have a home. And lastly, we have help along the way. Philip again pipes up, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Philip wanted a display like Moses. Jesus says to him, and again, I, I love Jesus. Like He's about to go to the cross. He's tried to encourage the disciples with his truth. And then Philip just still doesn't get it. Have I been with you so long, Philip? You still do not know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? This perfect union between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're distinct people, but one essence. The word that I say to you, I did not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And what works we have seen, have we not? Do I need to recap John's gospel for you? John chapter 2, the wedding feast, when they run out of, of the wine, Jesus turns water into wine, and it's the best wine ever. The blind man at the pool of Bethesda, in fact, the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, lying there for 36, 35 years. Goodness, that's the same age as me. Actually, that's quite crazy to be lying there for that time. Jesus walks in, looks at him, says, do you want to be healed? The guy's like, well, yes, please. Jesus heals him straight away. People who are blind from birth, he gives sight to them. Lazarus, as I mentioned, he says, Lazarus, come forth from the grave, and Lazarus walks out alive forevermore. Who can do these things but the power of God? And seeing all these miracles, he comes to restore, to renew, and to heal. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. He brings this power into this world. That's why we pray, Father, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He does all these works. He testifies to it. He is the way with testimony. And then he says to us, and you have helped you have helped. I know I've told you this before, but I'm, I'm determined to get you all to watch the original Star Trek. How many of you have watched? Has anyone watched it since the last time I talked about it? Oh, we've got one or two. Oh, come on. Yes, they're missing out. I love the original. You can keep all the new ones. They're, they're, they're fine, but I love the original one. You're Kirk punching the aliens and fighting with them and Spock and his, and his logic and Dr. McCoy with his wonderful medical diagnosis. Jim, this man's dead. I love it. It's brilliant. But one of the things I love is those action scenes in it, and they're really corny action scenes. I mean, you sort of see them fall against what's supposed to be a rock, and the rock deforms and things like that, but it's brilliant. 
And they're down on a hostile planet and there's Klingons about. Don't you love the Klingons? They're really pesky wee souls. And they're in this hostile environment and it all looks like it's about to turn against them. And what, what happens? What does Kirk do? Whips out his communicator and says, beam me up, Scotty. Random fact, he never actually said that in the series. But that's beside the point. This communicator that does so many wonderful things. We have a home. We have a way there with Jesus who walks alongside us as the good shepherd who never leaves us and forsakes us. And not only is he with us, he has given us a communicator right into the heart of heaven. Look at the language here as we go along the way. When our hearts are troubled, when we're wearied down, Jesus is with us and he says to us, by the way, flip open your communicator and pray to the Father in heaven. You have prayer. Ben next week is going to look a bit further at this with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit too is our helper. But we're just going to stop here with a prayer thing. Truly, truly, I say, do you ever believe in me? And notice this. Will also do the works that I do. Isn't that amazing? You will do the works that I do. These are my words. These are Jesus' words. You will preach the gospel. You will bring the good news. You will bring light in the darkness, transformation where there is death. You will do the works that I do. And actually, the works are going to be greater. Now, let's pause there a second before we look at prayer. When Jesus says the greater works there, what does he mean? He doesn't mean that we will do the work of salvation. That is the greatest work in the world. The cross, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hinge point of all history. We cannot do that. We cannot repeat it. We cannot earn our salvation. But what he means is this, the impact of the works that we do will have a greater impact than what he did in Israel. Jesus never traveled more than about 50 miles from his hometown. Isn't that amazing? We get in cars and I drove the other side of Leicester yesterday. I don't know how many miles it was. It wasn't the most exciting journey in the world, but we routinely travel large distances. Jesus never left this area of Palestine. So what he says is, guys, and he predicts here the spread of the church why are you and I here this morning, brother and sister, humanly speaking? Because somebody gave us the gospel and we believed. Who gave us the gospel? People who were sent, people who were sent by churches. Where did those churches start out? All the way in Jerusalem. We are the ends of the earth. Jesus predicted that. And the work's still not done, by the way. Greater works than these you will do. Are we doing these works? not for our salvation, but for the outflow of our love for Jesus because he has secured it for us. How do we get help in these works? Let's look at it now as we close. I am going to the Father. He is away. He's way back to the Father to pray for us at the right hand of God on high. 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What does that mean? How many of you remember that song? I can't remember who sings it. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Which you don't want nowadays because Rishi Sunak will slap a tax on it that'll make it none. <laughs> Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Is this health wealth? Is this name it and claim it theology here? No, 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 no. Look at it closely. This communicator of prayer is powerful and it gives us heart right into the throne room of God because of Jesus. But notice there, whatever you ask in my name. Some of you guys will not understand what I'm about to say because I don't think they do them anymore. But do you remember your first checkbook? Do you remember your first checkbook? It was really exciting. You became an adult when you got your first checkbook and you opened it and you, you, you were responsible for this thing and you could sign all sorts. I'm sorry if, if folk have no idea what I'm talking about. I suppose nowadays you just put your thumb on something, don't you? 
remember my first check, because I remember the first check, I can't remember what it was, I think it was the princely sum of £1.50 or something, but it was all that was in my bank balance at the time. But writing this check, I'm putting my name in the signature box. What was I doing there? Affirming that it was me authorizing this payment out of my resources. Which weren't many. Whatever you ask in my name. When we pray to the Father in heaven, when we're praying as believers and children of God, we're talking to our heavenly Father, and we talk and we pray and we ask for things in a way that reflect the family name, that reflect the Father, that reflect his purposes, his will, his plans for us. Whatever you ask in my name, on my account, says Jesus, and Jesus' account is pretty rich. Paul, again, I love quoting this prayer, and I know you've heard me say it many times, but it's a wonderful one in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, out of the riches of his glory. How many of you'd like access to Donald Trump's checkbook? No? <laughs> How many of you'd like access to King Charles's bank account? Yes, please, yeah. Through our prayers, and to see the work of the church fulfilled and its ministry and purpose that Jesus has left us to get us home along the way and to bring as many people as we can with us, he has given the whole resources of heaven itself. When we gather to pray on Tuesday mornings, we do this. When we gather to pray on Saturday mornings together, we do this. When you pray as a family in the morning or in the evening or whenever it is you do your prayers and devotions, you are flipping open the communicator right into heaven itself and praying in the name of Jesus to see the work of Jesus done here on earth. And he answers with all the resources of heaven itself. Will the church fail? Never. Not because of our own attempts to make it fail, but because Christ is in it and he is determined to use it for his glory to save many. I can't be bothered listening to those doom and gloom things about the church, can you? It's like an episode of Dad's Army. Doomed, doomed, we're all doomed. Oh, do be quiet. Christ is in his church, and he will build it. And if we pray and ask in his name, if we point to the home that we have, if we have troubled hearts in days like these, remember home. Remember it is with Jesus who walks alongside you and leads you through the veil of this life. The 23rd Psalm makes all more relevance here in this passage, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me along still pastures. He walks with me through the darkest valleys and he will bring me home to a table prepared for me. We have a way through Jesus, the only way, the only way of salvation, the only way of peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And we have help along the way. Prayer is one of those helps and next week Ben will show us the Holy Spirit who is our helper. Let us pray. Just before I pray, keep your eyes closed. I want to read a, a hymn written by a Baptist minister called Samuel Stennett, which captures Jesus and this way and this home. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glories crowned, his lips with grace o'erflow. No mortal can with him compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair that fill the heavenly train. He saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. For me he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief. 
To him I owe my life and breath and all the joys I have. He makes me triumph over death and saves me from the grave. To God the Father, my home. He brings my weary feet, shows me the glories of my God, and makes my joy complete. Since from his bounty I receive such proofs of love divine. Had I a thousand hearts to give, Lord, they should all be thine. Father, forgive the foolishness of preaching. But I pray this morning through your word and through the truth and power of the text that you will encourage our hearts. We know that they can be troubled so easily and so deeply. But we thank you that in our troubles, in our sorrows, and in our darkness, you come with your light, your grace, and the gift of faith, trust in you, because you will lead us home. Life is hard, but you are good, and glory is coming. So sustain us in this travels around this world. Continue to build your church, and as we follow you on the way home, may we reach out with the hope that is within us. The message of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, peace with God, through Jesus Christ alone. And as we go through the week and as we remember these truths and as we struggle and as we have our ups and our downs, help us to remember the communicator of faith that we have. God's help, we thank you, is closer than the front door. So encourage us in our prayers as well, we pray. And now as we gather around your table to remember the cross and the resurrection, may you sustain us through these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.